Ooh, the entire next generation cast will appear in Star Trek Picard season three. That is amazing news. It sounds like they're still trying to get that up and running, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Daniel Bader. This is the Android Police Podcast. Episode one. We are starting from scratch. Um, I'm the editor-in-chief of Android Police. I was formerly the editor-in-chief of Android Central. If you followed us over from that podcast, welcome. If you are brand new, also welcome. We are so thrilled to have you. My co-hosts, I'm picturing a room, so I'm going to say, to my right is R. Wagner. Sup, everybody? Have y'all missed me? Because I have definitely missed podcasting. Oh my god, I have missed this. Ara was also my co-host at the Android Central podcast, but uh, I want to be clear, we are not recreating that, and I will explain how we are not going to recreate that. But first, I want to introduce my other co-host on the left in this virtual room. We're in the metaverse. No, we're not. We're not in the metaverse. Taylor Kearns, podcast virgin. How are you? Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I'm a little, a little tentative about this whole thing. Good. That's how we like our, uh, our podcast newbies. On my to toes. be terrified and shaking the entire time. Yeah. Just a complete anecdote to start off. I was on a live TV broadcast at the beginning of the pandemic. It was like March 23rd, 2020. And it was a live hit on, I think it was CBC in Canada here. And somebody rings the doorbell and my dog starts barking and she wouldn't stop barking for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and I had to keep my stuff together. It was so hard because I had forgotten to close my door. So I, I still, to this day, I have cold sweats thinking about it. All right. So the format of this show is going to be a little different to maybe the regular conversational podcast you're listening to. Every co-host, whether it's the three of us or somebody else who comes on, is going to pick a topic, a series of things they want to talk about. We're going to talk about them for around 10 minutes each. And then we're going to move on to the next person. They will be topical. They will be things that that person is interested in. Just something that the co-host cares about. And then we're going to finish, move on to the next one. At the end of the show, we're going to touch on some extraneous, miscellaneous stuff that may be timely, just news in general. We'll talk about that for five to 10 minutes, and then we'll close out. So that's going to be our format. We would love to hear from you, and we will provide some details on how you can do that towards the end of the show. But first, I guess we will dive right in. I'll start because I'm at the top of this run sheet. I want to talk about the Galaxy S22 because everybody here on the show, uh, myself, Ara, Taylor, we all have an S22. I believe we all have the Ultra, for better or for worse. Um, I had an S22 Plus, but it was stolen. So mad about that. But I want to talk about it. Taylor, you have had a chance to use it for a while, I think longer than the three of us, uh, even though you didn't review it for the site, but you've you've had it, you've been using it as kind of a camera, as a uh, Pixel 6 Pro counterpart. What is your impression right now of this phone like, and what it's, where it stands, especially since the OnePlus 10 Pro has just been released and that is not getting as favorable a series of reviews as, as the S22 Ultra? It's a great phone. It's it's too big. I'm a small phone person. I've been a small phone person for quite a while. It's it's, it's unwieldy. Huge. It's gigantic. Yeah, it is. And I don't 
I've been trying to fit the S Pen into my life because I like the idea of being able to do handwritten notes on my phone. That sounds very cool, but it's a little toothpick. And like, I always forget to go back and check my Samsung Notes app after I take notes on my S22 Ultra. There's a lot about it that doesn't quite line up with the way I normally use phones. And I, I, I want it to slot more neatly into my life because I've been using the um, Galaxy A53 for about a week now, less than a week, a few days. And it's, it's making me miss the S22 Ultra. Like the whole first day I had it, I was just turning it over in my hand and looking at it and like feeling the way that the top and the bottom are flat. And the screen is also incredible. And both of those things, I mean, the A53 has a fine screen. It's, it has a good screen for a phone as cheap as it is. But like nothing I have comes close to the build quality or display quality on the S22 Ultra. So I always miss it when I'm not around it. I think I wanted to talk about this in the context of how difficult it is to talk about year-over-year iterations these days of smartphones. And, you know, we've seen it reflected in the performance of our reviews and the interest in in flagship products in general. I mean, Ari, like you and I have handled this problem many years. We worked together at Android Central and I've been in the smartphone game for, my God, like 12 years now, more than that. So I've I've been privy to the cyclical nature of interest in smartphones. And what I'm sort of settling on is in is we're in that gulf where laptops were four or five years ago, where the form factor had been created, matured. People were sort of buying them because they were tools. And then slowly but surely, companies like Dell and HP started putting out really beautiful Windows laptops again. Uh, Intel chips started not being terrible. I mean, they're still kind of terrible. Uh, but slowly, like, the laptop market started ramping up, and then the pandemic hit and everybody bought a laptop. There's been some talk about how foldables will begin that cycle for smartphones all over again. But we are now three years into the foldable cycle, and I don't see that really happening. Ara, I wonder, like, what's your impression on that? Like, which end of the cycle are we at? I think we're still in a bit of a transition, and I would also like to preface for any foldable that the first year of foldables was all focusing on the tablet, the fold, but the foldable that comprised 50% of the foldables sold this year was the Flip 3, not the Fold 3. And those are the foldables that I am more interested in as a person because I like phones that will actually fit in my goddamn pockets, and that does not include the Fold, it includes the Flip. So I think we're still in a transition period because... The Flip 3 is still seen as something of a, of a untested, even though we have now gotten to the point where the Flip form factor is almost as durable as a regular phone. It has, I'm really hoping with the Fold 4, we finally get back to cameras and processors being on par with the Galaxy S series. I still haven't tried a foldable. I really, 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 really want to try the Flip 4. In fact, that might be the first phone I spend my own money on in four years. Because I want to see this thing. I'm seeing more and more of them when I'm out in the parks, and that thrills me to no end. The Galaxy Z Flip 3 is the only foldable that I've ever been able to consistently pick out in a crowd. Because I'll see them spinning it on the, the case with the ring, uh, with the D-ring on it. Or I'll see them with the uh, fabric cases or the really weird colors. It's It's a fun foldable, but foldables are still seen as an extravagance rather than just another smartphone. And once... 
the Flip series becomes just another smartphone, I think we're going to see adoption really take off because it's a phone that will fit into your life more comfortably. And I think also being able to snap it shut and put it away more easily will mean that you are less likely to become addicted to it because for so many of us, for most of the pants that I own, I cannot put my phone in my front pocket and sit down. I have to take my phone out every time I sit down unless I am wearing my holster. And most people are not wearing a shoulder holster just for their smartphone and wallet. So if you have to take your phone out every single time you sit down, it means you're more likely to actually open it up and check it and look at it. I don't know about you, but I take my phone out when I sit down anyway because I'm addicted to it. Yeah, and that's why. I don't think it would, be, I don't think it would happen we less need to break because people I have a of that. foldable. I think it would just be a slightly longer process of, of, of folding it out and then using it the same way I do every other phone. Um, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying though. I, I guess where I'm at, I waited a month for the red galaxy S 22 ultra. It's gorgeous. It's just a beautiful, it's orange. It's not red. It's yeah, you're right. It's not red. It's, it's like, a. it's orange. You're, you're absolutely It's the same color as the galaxy Chromebook, right? That orange. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's red ish. It's, it's like a, it's like a dark orange. Either way, it's a very nice color, and it has the matching S Pen. I'm happy I waited for it, and then on day two, even though I had not dropped it, had not done anything nefarious with it, it developed a massive gash in the Gorilla Glass Victus glass on the front. Don't know how, but I've been complaining about it for the last few days because that shouldn't happen. Like There has been so much emphasis on drop and shatter protection on newer versions of Gorilla Glass, but it is moving in the direction of negating scratch resistance. And that drives me crazy because that's actually not what I'm, I'm not worried about dropping my phone and smashing it. I'm worried about like scratches distracting me because they're so obvious even in, in like not direct sunlight. Well, Corning's been focusing on shatter resistance over scratch resistance for a good five years now. The last Gorilla Glass version that prioritized scratch resistance over everything else was the Gorilla Glass 3, which is why, old as it is, it's still being used on a lot of budget phones. Right. That's exactly what I mean. It's it, They should have another version of it that focuses on scratches. There should be like a case edition that appeals to people like me who are careful, but uh, somehow just develop scratches on their phones anyway. I, I know that's not going to happen, but it, it would be yeah, nice. Pri- prioritizing um, crack resistance, like drop, uh, makes sense because that's if you shatter your screen, you pretty much have to get a new screen or get a new phone. If you get a big scratch on your screen, you could probably live with it. But that being said, I also have like I rarely get scratches or any damage on any of my phones. And I have four noticeable like deep scratches on my S22 Ultra. Right. Exactly. I don't want to have to choose. But I do understand that is the reality of most people, especially with the price of replacing a screen going up because of the complexity and the fact that even though Samsung is now and and we should we should mention this because it rolled out this earlier this week as we're recording, uh, Samsung is now will be partnering with iFixit to actually offer replacement parts for the S20 and S21 line which is the beginning of sort of this increased awareness of rights to repair and and companies really trying to, I would say, acquiesce to a very small but loud minority of people that want to repair their own products. Apple came out with this initiative late last year, I believe. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I still would not want to replace my own Samsung display because every time I see a teardown of a Samsung phone, I'm just like, this is 
no, that's not going to happen. But it's nice that they're making it available. Uh, Something that producer Jules Wang, hey Jules, uh, just posted. According to Corning's own tests, Gorilla Glass's scratch resistance hasn't improved since 2014. While Corning says the glass got more scratch resistant during early generations before plateauing in recent ones, it switched up the test used on its product information sheet, making it hard to compare between three, four, five, and six. That's from a Verge article from 2018, and I highly doubt things have improved since then. So thank you. That's really good context. All right. I will finish off my little tangent by saying I have been one of the few people that bought a Pixel 6 Pro back in October and has not had any major software issues with it. We have now just seen the first on-time Pixel patch with the April edition rolling out earlier this week. I don't think the Galaxy S22 Ultra is long for my pocket. I think I will be switching back to the Pixel any day now. Ara, I know you did the same thing. Taylor, what's your final take on this? Is is the Pixel going to ultimately end up in your pocket? I was just thinking that I'm also going to switch back to the Pixel 6 very soon. <laughs> yeah, And I mean, there's a number of reasons for that, but the biggest ones for me were launcher compatibility and call screening. Oh my God, call screening. I cannot live Such without it. Such a good it. feature. Yep. I, I got a spam call like three minutes ago. Like while we were recording this, I got a spam call on my Samsung phone that wasn't automatically <laughs> blocked by call screen. Even though it does have built-in Heya support, so I'm not sure what's up with that. Anyway, Samsung, do better. I will wait a few weeks to complain about Samsung's human face camera quality. That was something I talked about almost every week on the AC podcast. I will spare our new listeners that tangent for a couple of weeks uh, because once I get into it, I, I never I never stop. All right. That is it. Ara, let's go. Um, well, I just mentioned it. I switched back to a Pixel 6 from the Galaxy S22 Ultra because I just could not take it not handling third-party launchers that well anymore. Um, if you're using a third-party launcher and you are on your home screen, you cannot access the recents menu. And for my, uh, I was using Smart Launcher and a lot of times I would come back to the uh, home screen. I would instantly tap the app that I was intending to click on on my home screen and it would open a totally different app because of inconsistencies between One UI and the third-party launcher. And that drove me insane, but it also made me realize that so many people are having a similar experience to that. And that makes third-party launchers just completely and utterly unattractive to the vast majority of Samsung users, which is the vast majority of the American market and the Western market. Which is a shame, because I'm sorry, but the One UI home launcher It's just not that good. Yes, you can finally set custom icons. And yes, you can finally start to maybe make your phone actually have consistent icons across the board. Because even with Theme Park and Good Luck, you cannot make themes on Samsung phones look good for icons. It just doesn't work. Flat out doesn't work. Yeah. Good Luck. I love how people say Good Luck saves their One UI experience. Every time I want to use Good Luck to do basically anything I want to, if I had any hair, I would want to tear it out. They were just poorly made. They're poorly translated. They're not up to the same standard as the rest of Samsung's software. And I understand why, because they are made by individual people as part of like a side project within Samsung, but still they're not good enough to repair the damage that a bad launcher does to the experience. And while I don't actually think One UI's launcher is as bad as you do, Ara, I I actually quite like it. I still agree that 
there are many very bad decisions that are holdovers from the TouchWiz days that I just don't understand why they still exist. Yeah, no, it's not great. And granted, third-party launcher experience has actually been on a decline since, God, Android 10, whenever we got just your navigation, because so many third-party launchers were just straight up broken when you were using gesture navigation on Android 10 because they shipped it without putting in a final fix for something. And then most phones never got the fix because most phones didn't get Android 10.1. They just got Android 10. But it's made it harder to get into launchers and to some extent customization. But at the same time, Google has focused on Material U. So theming has actually gotten much easier with Material U. It's easier than ever to theme your phone and make it look consistent and easy and effortless. It's just a problem of you have to be on very specific types of devices or very specific types of programs in order to get it. I've talked to developers of third-party launchers, specifically Action Launcher developer Chris Lacey, who actually released a version of Action Launcher in the last couple of weeks that sort of hacks the poor third-party launcher experience by adding an animation between the swipe up and the return to home so that it doesn't look as janky when you're using it on anything that's not a Pixel. And even on a Pixel, it's not great, but like on anything, especially a Samsung phone, it's even worse. And it's still not perfect. Like the API just is not there, or if it's there, it's just not being utilized correctly. Google just has not made it possible for other companies like Samsung and and, and OnePlus to make it worth their while, so. Yeah, and I know you are a very big proponent of theming on your phone. Well, I mean, A, make your phone look good, but more importantly, a lot of people think theming is just making everything a pretty color or a pretty wallpaper. No, when I talk about theming, I talk about like widgets and getting the phone set up to where it actually helps you. I love SmartWatcher because I can assign every app on my homepage a double tap action. So if I tap it, it opens one app. If I double tap it, it opens another. Because we used to have swipe gestures for all of these. Not anymore because gestures are such an integral part of the launcher and the system navigation. But also it's about being able to put widgets where you want them. Get widgets exactly the way you want them. Widget stacks on Samsung have been great. Except for the fact that not everybody can use them and they're just clunky. And you can't... Okay, so you can't resize the smart widget stacks on Samsung. Like if you put the 4 by one one down, you can't resize it to make it 4 by 2 And widgets that aren't the exact same size as the smart widget stack that you've placed can't go into that stack at all. Like, it won't even try to accommodate them. No, it's... Definitely some work to be done there. Material you revolutionize things in that I can now truly just set a wallpaper and everything else on my home screen readjust to match. My home screen icons, both of my widgets, and my system theme all change the second I change a wallpaper, which is fabulous. But at the same time, that's because I am using a Google Pixel, which doesn't have issues with third-party launchers, and I am using iCompact Studio, which ties directly into my launcher, so I don't have to go in and manually update it every time. It's knowing what you have to use, but also you shouldn't have to jump through this many hoops for this. And while Material U has been great for widgets this year, it's also a matter of not a whole lot of third-party apps have really updated for Material U, like at all which is a shame. Yeah, we have a list of the best apps that have been updated for Material U, and the number is very small. Yes. Yes, it is. 
And granted, I'm not expecting every app to, like, integrate all of the colors and everything, but at the very least, your widget should be updated to look like it came out of 2022 and not 2014. Like, there are widgets, even Google has some widgets that were designed in 2013 and have never really changed. There's a Google Play Books widget. Literally, I first saw it on the Nexus 7 tablet, the first one, and it is the exact same as it was there, and it it still works, it still functions, it still looks horrible. <laughs> I think this might be why I've kind of fallen off of widgets, because I was I was really big into them in, like, the Nexus 7 days years ago, but as time has gone on, I, I just... Less and less, I find myself wanting to use the widgets that are available to me because so many of them yeah. look incongruous with the rest of the software now. Well, I don't use first-party widgets for basically anything anymore except maybe the Clock app. I use K-Widget and they have replacement weather widgets, they have replacement music widgets, they have replacement calendar widgets. Third-party developers should not be having to carry widgets when so many first-party apps have great design and should be sending that design to their widgets. But seemingly don't because they think that nobody uses them even though everybody rushed immediately to make more widgets for ios yeah but we haven't heard anything about that in a year so i really don't think that the uptake on ios has been much higher than it is on android i just think that the fact that it was apple doing it made a huge difference yeah it was a news cycle I would, I would be surprised if you could find anybody in your life who regularly uses widgets on iOS on a regular, like, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know anybody. I know a couple that use the photos ones, which I don't really understand. Besides the ones that have been basically like preloaded. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, is that it? You got a ding, ding, ding or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's about it. Oh, yeah. One thing I wanted to mention on Material U. Material U's color theming is actually broken right now. It was broken sometime in, I think it was the December On update. Pixels? Or no, I think there was something that they were trying and it in, and it, it, it inadvertently made all material you theming, I think on Pixels, but possibly a couple of other phones too, more muted in color than it is supposed to be. And Android 13 is what's going to be needed to fix that when they come and they give us, instead of having just, you're going to have four color options, you're going to have four color options and then you're going to have four different types of themes that you can pick. Yeah, we have tonal spot, Vibrant, expressive, and spritz, which I'm super excited about. So we actually broke this news before the first developer preview back in January. Esper's Michelle Rahman, former XD developer, editor in chief, he then got a bunch more information about what uh, these uh, separate profiles will do and got them working on the latest developer preview. As we are recording this, we are still waiting on Android 13 beta one. My hope is that there will be some more or at least a considerable number of user-facing changes in 13 beta 1 because there haven't been many in the two developer previews, which isn't surprising. But the next time we record, I promise you, if they have released Android 13 beta 1, we will talk about it. So yeah, lots more to come on that. All right, Taylor. Yes. So you reviewed the iPad Air and that not only was one of our most popular posts of the last few weeks because everybody likes reading about Apple products on an Android site for some reason. You know, it's like competitive analysis. But your title, iPad Air 2022 review, making $1,000 Android tablets look silly, it's just a bone. <laughs> and you're just like slathering that bone with peanut butter and then just like putting it out and waiting, waiting for the dogs to try to fight over it. It's incredible. Uh, so 
yeah, maybe walk us through your impressions of this very, very good, uh, but slightly irritating for some reasons, uh, tablet. So yeah, uh, the 2022 iPad Air is does, I think, make $1,000 Android tablets look silly. It's got Apple's M1 chip in it, which is the same chip that powers the newest iPad Pro and several Apple desktop computers. And like the most powerful Android tablets you can buy right now are still sharing chipsets with phones. It feels like they're not even like playing the same game. It's outrageously fast. Like it does normal tablet things. I mean, as fast as I've ever seen a tablet do them. And I've used, you know, a few tablets and like big stuff that most people wouldn't need to do with an iPad Air, like iPad Pro customers, you'd think editing big pictures in Adobe apps, like, it's so fast, it's so much nicer than using older iPads to do it. And it sort of complicates Apple's lineup a little bit because the new Air has the M1, and then the Pro also has the M1, but it has, like, some additional nice-to-have features that aren't really Pro-related for most workflows. Like, it has a higher refresh screen, it has Face ID, it has more speakers. Like, not pro things, necessarily, just things that you might want if you're really into tablets. But it's it's fantastic, except for the fact that the base model, which is $599, which is an amazing price for a tablet that performs the way this does, comes with 64 gigabytes of storage, and that is very easy to fill up. I wouldn't expect a $600 Android tablet to come with 64 gigs of storage. I would think 128. But the next step up from that is 256 on the iPad Air, and that costs an extra $150. And that is not a good deal for, for this tablet, I don't think. Yeah, and then your choice is get an iPad Pro or maybe get like a Tab S7 Ultra or Plus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Tab S8, sorry. And the iPad Pro, uh, the base model starts at 800 which is $50 more than the iPad Air with extra storage. And it's, I don't know. Obviously, they do that kind of thing on purpose because they want you to think, well, 64 gigs might not be enough. You check out the 256 gig version and it's only $50 more to get an iPad Pro, which obviously that's what they want you to do. And I think it's probably going to work on a lot of people. Oh, yeah, 100%. The iPad is just insanely fast and overpowered, but I don't know. People buy it for the wrong reasons. Because if you're doing creative work or something on an iPad Air, which... I pretty much exclusively edit photos on tablets. I just like manual input over using a mouse or a trackpad. Yeah. And it's it's fantastic for that. But at the same time, 64 gigs of storage, if you're editing like big 24 megapixel photos or something, you're going to run out of that space in no time. Like, I mean, I, I have run out of 64 gigs of storage space using other tablets this same way. So have you tried uh, universal control with an iPad and a Mac? I have. I love it so much. It's it's. I feel like it's going to be quaint. I'm going to look back on how cool I think that is in 10 years and it'll seem ridiculous uh, because all it is, if, you, if you're not familiar, universal control is just it's an iPad and Mac OS feature where if you enable it on your Mac computer, you move your cursor off the screen in the direction of the iPad and your mouse and keyboard that were controlling your Mac are now also controlling your iPad. And you can move back and forth seamlessly or move files back and forth. And it's super cool. And I hope that that sort of thing won't still seem so cool in a few years. Like, I love junk like that. I want to see it everywhere. 
But at the same time, I haven't really found a way that I can practically use it. Like I'm, I'm mostly just using my iPad when I'm using Universal Control as a second screen because all of my photo editing that I'm doing in Lightroom is like synced in the cloud with my Mac already. So I don't need it for that necessarily. Right. But it's, I don't know, it's one of those cool things. It's just, it's, it's wow factor that like, you can't do that with an Android tablet and a Chromebook. You can sort of do it with a Samsung tablet and a Windows computer, but not really. It's just one of those cool Apple things that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, Lenovo does it, but it's only on Lenovo tablets and Lenovo PCs. Is it really? You can do the same thing? Pretty much, yeah. Moving from Android to Windows? Yeah. Or at least I believe that's how it was. Yeah, because it was one of the features they talked about when I was reviewing the P11 Pro, but I couldn't use it because I didn't have I didn't have any Windows laptops because I I work entirely on Chrome. Yeah, certainly didn't have any Lenovo Windows laptops specifically, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Although I will say for all of these, you keep talking, comparing this to Android tablets. What I would really want to con- compare it to would have been like an equivalent of a sur- uh, of a Pixel Slate if we had been able to get a new one of those, because Chrome OS tablets will get are actually going to get security and system updates on a level that could compete with the iPad, but we don't have any that have a well and truly like powerful chipset inside of them yet. They're all still using the Snapdragon Seven C, either the Gen One or the Gen Two. Right. Yeah, those very underpowered Qualcomm. SOCs that are not worth putting on your computer because, I mean, it's it's fine for Chromebooks, but for Windows stuff, I don't think it's as power it's powerful enough yet. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's great for Windows Chrome. on ARM is is just Windows on ARM terrible. has been a journey. But yes, I will say I love like the HP X2 as a content consumption device. Like I use the X2 and I used the Duet Five basically as leisure computers. And they were right. perfect for that. They're just not something you would want to work on full time. And that's something that you can say on the iPad Air and iPad Pro, that it could actually be your full-time computer if you were willing to get all the accessories for it. I don't know that an iPad could be my full-time computer. I don't know who could use an iPad as their full-time computer, even with all the appropriate accessories. Many people have tried and many have failed. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. iPad OS was supposed to herald this new era of iPad first computing and what is a computer and all that stuff. And everybody I've talked to who has tried to make their iPad their only computer has hated it eventually. It starts out being fine and then you just run into a roadblock. It's like a maze and you just keep getting stuck in that fucking corner. You're not sure what to do. Uh, and you come back and you try to do it again and it just you, you end up just going back to your laptop. That's how I've heard it anyway. And I'm a MacBook user, so yeah, I've tried. I've tried and failed there too. Yeah, it just doesn't work like a desktop operating system does. And I mean, obviously to some extent on purpose because Apple is still selling desktop computers and tablets and they need to be different somehow or, you know. That is just the way it is. Yeah. I would love to compare it to a newer Pixel Slate if one of those existed. They won't, and no, please, God, no, don't do that again. No, 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 but we've learned our lessons from the Pixel Slate. That's why every Chrome tablet now comes with the kickstanding keyboard in the box. Right. It comes as a oh, fully I, equipped thing. I forgot they didn't sell the keyboard together Yeah, with they the did not sell tablet. a keyboard oh, with Lord. it at, an air, at a point in time when Chrome OS was still very much a you-need-a-keyboard-and-mouse type of thing. I do remember the briefing, and they made the, the Pixel Slate seem like, like this, this new era of of computing and how you'll be able to do everything that an android tablet does well and everything that a windows or 
you know, even Chrome OS laptop does well and one fell swoop and oh my God, it was ter- it was disappointing and terrible. So it could have been great. Yeah, it could have been so great. 2018, right? No, yeah. 2019, wasn't it? Was it 2019? Because uh, the no, Pixel Book was 2018, it I thought. Because hmm. I swore I bought a Pixel Book. Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was, it, it was towards the end of 2018. Okay. Yeah, I remember this. A Pixel Slate was actually my, yeah, it was October 9th, 2018. But a Pixel uh, Slate was my only computer for, God, a year, maybe? Oh, God. Are you okay? I mean, it was fine. I had like a keyboard and a, and a mouse. Yeah, I mean, once, once you put a keyboard on it, it was fine. And all the performance stuff got worked out within the first like four to six months. Oh, and the screen was fantastic. The Pixel Slate is one of the few things that it sucked at launch and actually became better the longer it was out. Mm. Because one, especially once the Duet, uh, the Duet was out and Chrome had been fully touch optimized. Right, and also remember that they released it in a bunch of different SKUs that were, and the and the primary SKU was yeah. just so under the Celeron was so underpowered, and that was the only one that was widely available for a while. Yeah, no, um, it was everything was botched about that launch, but that product could have been great. They just needed to hold it for a year and get better chipsets. Yeah. Okay, I think that is our last topic. Unless Taylor, you have anything I, else? I you have want a to close question though. Do either of y'all actually, like, outside of reviewing tablets, do either of y'all actually use tablets in your daily lives? I don't as much as I would like to. Like, I've tried a lot of times to be more of a tablet person. Like, it's a very appealing idea to me to have, like, this big magazine size thing that I do computer stuff on. But I always end up either, like, if I want to watch a movie or something, I have a, a TV and a desk with a monitor on it. Like, I don't want to sit on my couch next to my TV and watch a movie, you know. But I do use them for uh, photo editing pretty much exclusively. That's kind of what is oh, yeah, forcing me to stay a tablet user is because I like doing that on them so much more. <laughs> so I don't use tablets much um, outside of consumption, like reading, watching the occasional show. But my daughter loves using the iPad and that's no surprise. She's three, she's an iPad or tablet native, touchscreen native. So um, I give it to her when we've run out of other things to do or if we need to put her in a car seat for a long trip, that has proven useful. But we we try to keep it to like an hour a week and we only let her play like the Sago mini games that are really, I wouldn't say they're useful or or STEM at all, but they're not like mindless and they have no in-app purchases. So. I feel pretty good about just letting her run wild with it. But I will say, like, you don't need an iPad for a toddler. No. Like, Android tablets are fine. In fact, they're better for a lot of people than than iPads because the games are there. They're cheaper. They The screens are sometimes the right size. Like, it's just, I don't want to spend, how much is an iPad mini? Like, $500? $500. I don't want to spend $500 yeah. for a small iPad. I'd rather just buy a a, a fire tablet. At you can get one of those bucks. for like 80 bucks, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, sure. Has your daughter asked you what a computer is yet? Uh, not yet. No, she okay. has asked me why is this bunny jumping? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or how do I put this cow in the mud? Which is a, a thing she likes to do. Um, but yeah, eventually I'm sure she will lie down on her stomach outside on the grass with an iPad open and say, dad, what's a computer? And uh, my life will never be the same. Well, on that note, uh, I think we should probably wrap up. We don't really have any major news points this week to talk about unless you want to go 
for a few minutes on why it was important that uh, the new uh, that that Elon Musk buy ten percent of Twitter and then get added to the company's board. But that is not this podcast. Uh, all I will say is God help us all. <laughs> so um, thank you for listening to our inaugurable inaugurable inaugural episode of the renewed, refreshed Android Police podcast. You can find a bit more about all of us on Android Police. I'm on Twitter at JourneyDan. Ara is at AraWagCo. Uh, Taylor, you are not on Twitter, so I can't plug you there. But uh, I'm, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Taylor Kearns. If anyone wants to follow me, they oh, you will are. Just okay. Never you see just, me you, tweet. You said earlier you don't use it. You don't tweet. No, I don't. I mean, okay. I I have a profile with my picture on it. Do you at least like retweet our art, your articles or anything? To to my twelve followers, no. I don't even tweet much <laughs> anymore. I've stopped. I I don't want to tweet. It's bad for my it's bad for my mental health. That's what everybody so I, says. I, like anytime anyone talks about Twitter, I say I'm not on it, and they act like it's weird, and then they tell me that they hate using Twitter. Right. Exactly. We're just we're we're all just masochists. So it, Twitter's the experience you make of it. It's a matter of making sure that you follow enough like things that make you happy outside of all of the news things that you should be following for work. Mm. Like life in general. Yeah. <laughs> touche uh, if you want to leave feedback tell us what you're looking for in this podcast the format might change the people might change but we're not going to shut it down again that is for sure so leave us some feedback podcast at, at androidpolice.com i was definitely going to say podcast at androidcentral.com because i said that literally every week for five years uh if you send them an email tell them uh say hi anyway that is our show thank you for listening and we will be back next week bye-bye bye everybody bye